Welcome back to Bootability, a weekly interview series about the amazing ability people have to change our lives and the world if we're brave enough to tap into it. I'm your host, Jihee Jolly. Today we're talking about music and creativity with a special guest, musician Nikolai Freitcher, who's best known for being the bassist of The Strokes. Before we jump in, Nikolai also created a new theme song for the show, which we're so excited for you to hear. So let's start with that. I grew up listening to The Strokes, as I'm sure many of you who are listening also did, and I recently met Nikolai in our Buddhist community, which he joined a couple of years ago when he started chanting Nam-myoho Renge-kyo, which is the basic practice of SGI Nichiren Buddhism. Since we've gotten so many emails from you asking us to do more episodes on creative work, art, and all the joy, pain, and self-reckoning that it entails, I was so excited that Nikolai was down to have a conversation about how he's seen his Buddhist practice impact his life and his work in the last few years. Just this year, which is the 20th anniversary of their breakout album, Is This It?, The Strokes won Best Rock Album of the Year for their newest album, titled The New Abnormal. We cover their journey as a band, as well as Nikolai's own journey from a 19-year-old getting into music to his roles as a father, a friend, and a brother, all of which have recently been impacted by what he's learned from Buddhism. Here's Nikolai. So my name is uh, Nikolai Freiter. Um, I'm calling from New York City, where I uh, was born and raised and uh, still live. Awesome. And um, before we get into to music and creativity, I just want to kind of understand for people who might not know that you somewhat recently started practicing Buddhism, uh, what that mm-hmm. story was like. So can you just share a little bit about how you encountered SJNH in Buddhism and why you were interested to start chanting? Well, my, my wife's family um, practices Nichiren Buddhism um, and about Ten years ago, when I uh, went over uh, to London, where where my wife is from, um, I experienced, uh, you know, listening to chanting um, in the other room. Which, you know, if you've never been, if you've never encountered that, it's it's pretty, it's quite different than what you're used to thinking about uh, religion or spirituality. Um, and she had a group of uh, friends over. It was New Year's Eve. I was uh, sick, <laughs> so I couldn't attend any uh, any parties, or I was I was just lying in bed sick, uh, and uh, that was the first time I I really heard the, uh, the the effect and really the power of many people chanting together. So um, that was kind of my first uh, encounter with it. Um, years later, um, in two thousand seventeen. Um, I was uh, in Los Angeles recording, and um, my wife called me with the unfortunate news that my mother-in-law, who who was really the uh, who was practicing um, for about forty years, uh, fell ill um, and was diagnosed with an illness that she uh, that I guess 
to her, she later recounted as really testing her faith. Um, and, you know, for us, we wanted to support her in any way that we could. So my wife, who chanted a little bit when she was younger, kind of got back into uh, chanting and practicing. Um, and, you know, we were also going through some pretty uh, intense, uh, you know, teenage years with our, uh, with our daughter. So all these factors together kind of, um, you know, led us to begin chanting. I started more as supporting my wife, who was supporting her mother, kind of uh, mm-hmm. um, in, that, in that way. I see. Yeah, no, thanks for, for sharing the context. Um, it's funny, it, it always ends up being life circumstances that kind of push people beyond their, um, for sure. you know, just to try something mm-hmm. new. I, I'm curious, um, the first time, do you remember the first time you chanted and were you like, this is super weird, I don't know if I can do it, or were you like, this feels great, I want to continue? Um, the first time I chanted felt uh, felt felt really good. Uh, it was I, with my wife, um, and that was kind of, uh, you know, the, the harmony of the voices, that was something that I was uh, sort of interested in and, and kind of appealed to me as a musician, I guess, um, and how that worked, uh, I guess, on a spiritual level. Um, I would say the first time I did Gongyo <laughs> uh, was a little bit different. That was a lot, that's kind of the, uh, I guess, the the, the awkward uh, part of it for me at first, which was these kind of sounds and words that uh, at first I, I didn't know what they meant. Um, and it was kind of, I guess, comparable to, I guess, a mantra where you're, you're kind of repeating the same uh, sounds uh, and you lose yourself in that, uh, in that moment. But at first, to uh, really get into that groove, uh, to understand, it took a little bit of time, mm-hmm. which I, I think I'm still, uh, you know, every day is a learning uh, uh, opportunity. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally understandable. <laughs> um... So, so then I wonder, you know, you say that you kind of were motivated to start chanting essentially because of people that you cared about in your life. But so much of what we learn through chanting and bootability is like one's own power or one's own inner resources come out. So what changes did you notice in yourself when you started chanting? Um, well, I think... Right off the bat, very quickly, I noticed that um, I became a lot less judgmental um, about so many preconceived notions I had about the world, about family, about friends. Um, I think uh, my mother-in-law's practice was always something that, you know, she was doing. Um, I wouldn't say I was, you know, I mean, I maybe I was judgmental about it a little bit. Um, I had my own thing going at the time. Um, so, you know, for years, we didn't really talk about it very much. Uh, it was just kind of something that she did. Um, so I think when when she was faced with that challenge um, and I and I saw how how well and how amazingly she kind of, you know, took it all on, um, I realized that a lot of the decisions she was making, uh, she was making were her decisions. Um, she was very kind of determined and resolute. Um, so I think that 
that kind of that was the initial uh, period for me where the judgment kind of started to dissolve. Um, and then over time, I started to, uh, uh, you know, in my practice in chanting, uh, I was applying it to other other uh, aspects of my life. Um, and those judgments all started to dissolve as well, um, especially at first, I guess the most immediate would be your family. Um, that can really, you know, uh, present a lot of challenges for <laughs> for a lot of people. Um, and my relationships uh, within my own family started to improve uh, tremendously. Um, I kind of, in a in a way that I had hoped for so many years, but I was going about it the wrong way. I was kind of going about it in a way that. I, I thought that I could fix something or I thought that I knew better than, than somebody else. Um, and by chanting, I realized that when you let that go, when you let go of all those, I guess, preconceived notions, illusions, um, I don't know, the relationship just blossoms into something much more natural and, and uh, people can relate to you on a much more uh, human level and the barriers kind of tend to break down. Um, and then, of course, that led into a, more of a, the professional setting, uh, working with other people, um, which I think that, you know, I saw the same change um, in a lot of the relationships that I had in, um, in, in a working setting. Yeah, that's interesting. And I definitely want to ask more about that, um, how it sort of translated to your, to your work life. But um, maybe we can start with a little bit of context about your professional life. I, I would love to know just um, first regarding music, why, you know, I think like what was the, what was the starting point for you since you've been a musician for quite a long time and quite a successful one. I was what, like in seventh grade when Is This It came out and all my friends had the strokes written on their shoes. <laughs> like, it's wild yeah. to think about. <laughs> but um, yeah, I'm sure the journey yeah. has changed, you know, <clears throat> along the way. So, yeah, why music? What do you love about it? Why did you get into it? Um, music, originally, I was just a huge fan of music. Um, I, um, I guess if you go even further back than that, um, my mother was a huge fan of music. She had, uh, you know, records all over the house. She was always playing music. Um, she's from France, so she had this big record collection that she brought over. Um, she was uh, the Beatles, the Rolling Stones. Uh, she told me that that's kind of how she learned how to speak English when she came here, just by playing them over <laughs> and over again. Um, so, you know, we just had music playing all the time, um, whether it was those records or Jack Brel, Charles Aznavour, um, Serge Gainsbourg, uh, Bridget Bardot, all those 60s uh, popular music at the time. Um, and so that, that was just a constant in our home. Uh, when I got older, um, my brother was kind of the door to, you know, what was cool at the time. Uh, in term he's older than me, he's two years older. And, um, you know, he was, he knew all the new bands at the time. And um, so I, uh, you know, we'd go to concerts together. And, um, and yeah, I just really, I was just a huge fan. I didn't really, I took some guitar lessons here and there. Um, 
I was sort of a hyperactive child, so it was very hard for me to concentrate <laughs> uh, for more than you know a certain amount of time. So music was really kind of a, a, a listening experience for me um, for very much part of my life until about the age of uh, 19. I, um, I went to New Orleans um, on a trip uh, kind of that I'd been planning for a long time. I was excited about it. Um, I was excited to change the way that I saw the world. I was kind of, um, you know, bored at home in New York. And there I, I contracted uh, this illness called the Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever, which was pretty intense. And so that kind of flipped my entire world upside down. Um, I dropped out of college. I couldn't really continue my studies. Um, I was already sort of playing in, in the band uh, at the time. We would we would rehearse every, every, every week, I guess. Uh, we had a space um, at the music building on 38th Street and 8th mm -hmm. Avenue. Um, so right at that time, I, I kind of, it was just a very difficult period for me. I, it, it kind of, not only the illness, but the, the kind of after effects opened like a floodgate of a lot of psychological stuff I was kind of holding in. Um, um, so a lot of things were bottled up um, personally that kind of opened uh, very quickly at right at that moment. Um, and so for me, it was kind of a, a shock, I guess, to my to my psyche and um, I started to practice uh, playing just for hours and hours, and that was really the, the 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 point of origin for me, which was kind of a, a place of of healing um, mm. in terms of music. Of how I didn't see it at, like that at the time, but um, over the years I realized what what that was doing. It was kind of actually almost like chanting. It was uh, just hours of repeating the same, you know, scales, repeating the same exercises, listening to music. And that was kind of the, the, the time where I really, where music became a, an active part of my life in terms of playing it and really understanding it on a much deeper level. Hmm. Wow, that's a pretty crazy story. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah, I, so... Wow, I'm going to get distracted if I ask more questions about that time period. So I'm going to try to stick to okay. stick to it. So so that's how it kind of all started. And how how long after that kind of did the strokes like like how much time passed between then and the strokes really like making it? Um, I think it was about about 2 years. That was the time where I think after I came back from that trip, I you know, I was in a in a very intense mental space. My time was uh, being, uh, you know, shared between just practicing a lot and just laying in bed. I couldn't, I couldn't really do anything. I, I was, I guess, uh, again, years later, I, I understood that that's a symptom of depression or anxiety. But at the time, I was wondering why I couldn't get out of bed, why I couldn't do anything. Um, so basically, that that whole period was spent, I guess, preparing in a way, not not really consciously aware that that's what I was doing, but that was kind of the only thing that I could do, which 
with mm. practice. And um, as time uh, went on, we started practicing as uh, a band a lot more. We had days where we'd start at night and we'd end up, you know, practicing until 10 in the morning the next day. Um, it was uh, pretty, pretty intense. Um, and, uh, and that was because at the music building where we were, we had to, you know, you rented a space. And so to, ma to maximize our time for our money, we would really rehearse until, you know, the late hours when nobody was in there. And so, yeah, we just, we really practiced for many, many hours and then started playing shows, very small shows in New York. Our, our first show was at the, uh, at the Spiral, which was on the... Uh, East Houston Street. I think it's now it's probably closed down, but uh, it was really, uh, you know, just put it uh, politely, a uh, a hole in the wall, um, <laughs> and that was kind of our first experience. We were all really nervous, um, and yeah, over time it took us about. Sorry, the short answer to your question is no, about two years. <laughs> okay. About two years of of kind of just practicing. At, in our studio and then taking it out to these small clubs, um, you know, actually very different from how it would be nowadays where we really had time. There were no cell phones, there were no cameras, uh, there was no social media. It was really just, you know, honing our craft together, playing together, um, playing for other people and then seeing that crowd, you know, slowly grow over time. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it really it feels like a different era. I mean, now I feel like musicians get famous, like in a completely different way where and the level of attention is almost alarming sometimes when you think about the human being underneath it all. Yeah, no, now I wouldn't want to be a, a band starting out nowadays. It seems like a very different uh, situation. Yeah. Um, so so let's fast forward a bit. So it's now been a couple of decades since that time, and um, you guys are still killing it. I mean, you won your first Grammy just recently, um, which is uh, kind of like unique and amazing. And I wanna, I wanna ask about kind of what the creative process was like for you over time, and especially maybe the last couple of years um, after you started chanting. So maybe we can start with. Um, just sort of the challenge, like if you had to say as a musician what the hardest part of the creative process is for you, and especially in a collaborative project or working with others, being in a band, like what would you say? The hardest part of the creative process, I mean, you know, there's so many, so many facets, um, I guess, that, uh, that it's hard to just pinpoint one. I would say that personally and in our situation you know we were many of us were friends before we became musicians and and band members i would say that really in a collaborative process it's the uh, it's kind of stripping away all the uh, extra stuff around the important part which is making music together think that would for me personally that was the hardest part to uh leave at the door of the studio all the all the baggage um and I also started at a pretty um you know crazy time in my life so I would all of that was swirling around my head while I was learning all these 
new things about the industry, about being in a band, about, you know, there's kind of just so many things and, you know, you add to that attention and quote unquote success, um, it kind of really throws everything up in the air. So I think the most, the hardest part, and I think a, a very important part of the creative process in a collaborative situation is keeping in mind what's important and not so much why you're doing it, but um, the process really, and mm -hmm. kind of trying to stay away from the, all the other distractions and you know what you think is your destination. Um, at the time when we got uh, signed to a major label, I thought, wow, yay, we made it. And that was actually just the beginning of the work. Uh, all the work that we had done led up to that point to start actually working and um, being, once again, quote unquote, a professional musician. It's, uh, it's hard to, to say when you're in a band, but, um, uh, <laughs> but, but I guess being signed, you, uh, you think that at that point you're, you've kind of, uh, quote unquote, made it, but it really, really haven't. And it's really just the beginning. So I would say, yeah, just um, it's kind of keeping the, uh, the important aspects of, of what you're doing in focus. Mm. Yeah, that's, um, I think that applies to pretty much any, any kind of work, actually. So it's a valuable insight. Um, and it's also funny that you say like, quote, quote, unquote, professional, because the, um, it made me think of, uh, we, we refer, I think I referenced this in a, the creativity podcast we did for Buddhist Solutions, the other podcast. Um, but uh, there's this book called Turning Pro. I don't know if you've heard of it um it's by it's by he's he's not buddhist or anything but i think it's pretty buddhist um but it's a writer who's who's talking about the difference between like professionals and amateurs in creative work and like the key differentiator is nothing but the fact that professionals show up every day <laughs> and that's basically yeah, the definition of being a professional <laughs> I, I i'd agree with that yeah <laughs> yeah um, um so uh, so one more follow up to that. And um, obviously, like as much as you're, you're comfortable sharing here, but I'm just imagining if you were going through that kind of tough of a time as you guys started getting big with your own kind of health and you had just had that crazy experience with your health. Was it hard? Like was the like underneath the, the success, I'm imagining that there was a bunch of like unresolved stuff and you just did you just have to sort of set it aside and like just keep moving forward or was there a, like a, a point at which you had to sort of address it do you know what I mean yeah no uh, very much so um I yeah at the time at the time I actually didn't really know what I was experiencing or what I was going through and that I actually there was a time where I felt that I became possessed in New Orleans this illness had very similar uh, effects um there was kind of hallucinations uh, mental confusion so all of this together, um, there was, I didn't know really what was going on and happening um, to me um, at the time. The, uh, um, the illness was kind of, at the, at the time, it was only 600 diagnosed cases in the U.S. a year. So even my doctor, yeah, didn't really know what was happening, uh, which kind of freaked me out even more. <laughs> Um, at one point, he asked, you know, he asked me if I was taking hallucinogenic drugs, and you know, I wasn't at all. So, 
it was just kind of this experience that I, I just had no idea how to define. And so when, when we started touring and playing music, I tried my best not to let that, you know, seep through into the, uh, into the band, into the experience of, uh, playing music together, but obviously that's impossible and it would always kind of come through in ways that I actually didn't want it to come through. And, and I would, again, you know, bottle things up and then they would come out in, in a much uneven, unbalanced way. And so, yeah, I guess for a very long time, I was, I was not really, uh, you know, vocal about the things that I was going through. And I think it came across in ways that were probably confusing for people, for bandmates, um, and came out. And you know, a lot of a lot of the things I was feeling as well were related to you know past stuff of when I grew up, and that stuff kind of uh, I, I harbored a lot of you know anger and resentment. So that also came out in ways that you know I think it informed the music some, uh, a lot of the time in a kind of punk ethos way um, <laughs> and my playing, but at other times it was probably more destructive than, than helpful. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, it makes, it makes sense what you're saying. And um, uh, I'm thinking from the perspective of someone listening who might be kind of pursuing their own creative path right now, this sort of um, like in Buddhism, we call it your like fundamental darkness and your fundamental enlightenment and it's like this battle between the two and whatever you're doing you have to like like the enlightenment side kind of has to win but it's one of the hardest things to do you know what I mean sounds like that and yeah and that was actually on my own for years I was um I was uh exploring ways to kind of get over that and not let it seep into places in my life that I didn't want it to seep into. Um, And, you know, that was from every kind of self-help book, um, uh, you know, reading about, you know, how to, yeah, how to better yourself, how to, how to get over these things. Um, And it helped a little bit, but it was always, you know, kind of more uh, self-involved and it was, you're, you're kind of still living in that mental space you're not actually getting out of it techniques like meditation um which i think are great um, and helped me a lot but there was you know to move into the aspect of um, of nichiren buddhism which helped me was getting out of that space and mm-hmm. uh, the importance of other people the importance of you know getting out of your uh, notion of why me? And for many years, um, that's how I felt after those experiences that I had was, you know, why me? Why, why did this happen to me? I, when, I was, uh, when I was really bad, um, you know, I, I had lost a lot of weight and nobody knew what was going on. So I, it was really, I didn't think that I had many more days left at the time. Um, until they finally diagnosed it and you know it was an easy antibiotic remedy um mm-hmm. but right up until then it was kind of i was really lost in the in the um in the self-pitying of you know why why did this happen to me mm-hmm. whereas with nichiren buddhism and chanting i think it um it really allows you to pull yourself out of that um 
out of that space and um, gives you the ability to be more proactive and more um, in control of as much as you can be in control of uh, mm -hmm. in regards to how you're feeling and how things are affecting you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I was going to ask exactly that. So I feel like you, you started to share it already. But I mean, so this kind of initial experience happened quite a long time ago, right? But and you only started chanting a couple years ago. But did you find mm -hmm. yourself having to sort of confront this stuff from the past when you started chanting? Did it did it come up? Or? Um, yeah, ha like, how did you see chanting sort of help you kind of transform or deal with these this I guess inner turmoil might be the best word for it I don't know how else to describe it um yeah I definitely um at the time in what I was going through and what you know we were going through as a family um I could see similarities in in my teenage child um that were starting to kind of show themselves um which at first I completely didn't uh, relate to anything that could be maybe hereditary or that could be, you know, something running through family lines. But, um, but I guess confronted with a similar situation, which, you know, who was not mm, me, um, kind of made me realize that those things were still somewhere down there. <laughs> deep down inside um, and I kind of, you know, maybe hereditarily or inadvertently passed them on in a way. So that was very kind of eye opening and difficult to look back sort of like a mirror to all the things that I was dealing with when I was uh, around that same same age. and. And that's really when uh, chanting became a, a much larger part of my life. Um, it really opened me up to all the possibilities to, um, you know, to overcome things. Um, one of the things that I guess also coming from a French European background, which was not discussed was, you know, therapy and medication when I was young. Um, there were probably times that could have benefited from that. And, um, you know, that was uh, something that I thought long and hard about. And mm -hmm. because of the way I was brought up, I was kind of opposed at first. But then I, um, I opened up to the possibility that it could help. And, and then over time, I'm just so happy that uh, I was able to become more open in that sense because it really made such a huge difference um, in my life and in my family's life. Um, and it's something that, yeah, I think I would uh, ascribe to chanting that really helped me look past a lot of preconceived notions, uh, judgments again, and just, yeah, and, and chanting as, you know, medicine in itself. And I love the idea, the Nichiren Buddhist idea of turning poison into medicine. And when you think about that, while you're chanting and in your daily life, um, you can apply that to so many different areas in your life. Mm. Yeah, I also really love that that concept. You don't hear that ever in society, turning poison into medicine or anything like it. It's more like just ignore, ignore what's happening, compartmentalize it, get over it, 
but um yeah and sometimes make more poison than we <laughs> yeah. with social media <laughs> yeah exactly so so what other um areas then did you see see it affects i i imagine um chanting and kind of seeing these changes in yourself and in your family and like transforming those kind of deeper things must have also impacted music in some way so yeah how did you start seeing kind of making music change or working on on stuff with the band or even your own own projects kind of start to shift um i think yeah for me the once the once all the baggage was handled (laughs) um and dealt with um i think that's when it was a lot easier for me to to be um you know, in a, in a collaborative setting, um, uh, in terms of personally and, and mentally, not that I was so difficult to work with. It was just that, you know, just kind of the general m- mood in the studio for me became a lot more, um, a lot more exciting and a lot more, I, I came in with a lot more energy. Um, I had a lot more energy. I, I felt, um, you know, really excited to work on music. It rekindled this infatuation that I had very early on with playing music and with playing music with my friends, which was really exciting. You know, over the years, with all those distractions and factors that I was mentioning, um, it can kind of chip away and wear away at that excitement, and it can you can really lose uh, lose sight of why you started and why it was so exciting in the beginning. So for me, chanting and dealing with all of those things rekindled that fire that was uh, that was still there, but laying dormant underneath. Hmm. Did did people notice a difference in you, like when you started chanting, or did did your bandmates and you know colleagues and and everyone you work with like know that you had started practicing Buddhism, or um, you didn't really um, share it? I wish I shared it. I shared it because I was excited to share it um, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> uh, because it was something that was really helping me. Um, and they were also kind of involved in all the other, um, you know, situations in my life. So they, they understood that how I was helping those aspects as well. Um, definitely, um, you know, very clearly and concretely, it uh, other, other band members, uh, you know, were aware that uh, it was having an effect on my uh, on my mood, my my energy level, just everything in general, just my my whole person, I guess. Uh, and they they mentioned it, um, and not that I. There were times where, um, actually, let me rewind. There, um, I hadn't told certain you know people at first because I wasn't sure <laughs> if uh, if this was gonna work or anything, um, and. I remember being in certain meetings and it helping me so much with uh, conversation and, you know, respectful dialogue and really just changing the way that I approached how I approached people and how I approached communicating with uh, with uh, everyone, really. Um, and, and I remember there was, you know, one specific event where after that, when I mentioned that I was uh, practicing Buddhism, a band member said, I knew it. I knew there was something different about you and I couldn't explain it, but now you just did. And so that's when I started to talk a lot more about it. That's why, that's what brought out that excitement where 
that was my first actual proof that something was changing mm. uh, deliberately in my life. That was the first time I people started noticing. And also in my family as well, um, you know, my relationship with my brother became a lot more, um, a lot more um, fruitful and, and relaxed and happy. And, you know, we have a, a much greater relationship now than we did before I started chanting. Mm. Yeah, 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 I can imagine. That's, uh, yeah, yeah, it's like two families, right? <laughs> you have two nuclear families, family. basically. Yes, I think I've probably spent more time with uh, my band family than uh, with my actual family yeah. um, over the years. Yeah. Wow, yeah, Th those are the, um, like the, the best experiences when other people can see something is different. I, I feel like I have those all, the like your Buddhist friends see you all the time, but like even in my experience, yeah. it's those other people who are like, have you been chanting lately? Maybe you need to chant right. because they know that there's a difference. Yes, yeah. It's that. Uh, and yes, it's in the same way physically as a hyperactive child. I would have to do a lot of exercise. So <laughs> it's kind of a, it's the same, I guess, actually similar practice, mm -hmm. uh, exercising your, your, your spiritual side or your more mystic side that you're not really in tune with all the time. Yeah, 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 totally. Um, so, so then when it comes to kind of your own creative process, um, I'm wondering kind of what impact chanting has had on it, or is there any sort of like Buddhist concept or anything that you've discovered since you've started practicing that <clears throat> relates to your own creativity or creative process or what you're, how you see your work now? Um, I think there's in the sense of not being judgmental of other people, there's also mm -hmm. um, a sense of not being judgmental towards yourself. Um, and that I think is, um, you know, it, it, uh, I've been able to just let things lie where they are. And if something works, it works. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. And it doesn't mean I'm a terrible person and I'm a failure. And, you know, <laughs> um, you know, that everything leading up to this one moment, uh, you know, is represented by this uh, idea that didn't work. Um, and I think, um, yeah, in terms of approaching, um, approaching the creative process, it's, uh, it's helped in that sense that um, to kind of accept things um, in a detached way. I read an interesting idea the other day, which was uh, taking things seriously, but not personally. And that's really been helpful in terms of uh, how chanting has uh, changed my approach, um, where I'm, it's much more, it's very liberating. Uh, I can explore a lot more uh, different ideas and different avenues in terms of, um, you know, what works and what doesn't. Um, I think uh, the rock and roll punk ethos, um, you know, can be really have a, an amazing energy, but can also sometimes be quite limiting in the way that, you know, you can only use certain instruments, you can only use certain chords, only look at music in a certain way, where I think chanting helped me really open up my, uh, my palette as well in terms of how to approach so many other aspects. Um, I remember just being very single-minded about what I, what I would allow myself to to enter into the uh, into the palette of my uh, 
of, uh, of tone and of, uh, of technique and approach. And that, um, you know, Buddhism helped a lot to open that up. Hmm. How interesting. Is that something that you like directly tried to address? Like I want to open myself up um, or try different things or it just sort of happened naturally? Um, I think it happened naturally. I think that for a long time, you kind of think of yourself as being open and as being this very forward-thinking, progressive musician, but there are so many, you know, blind spots that you can't see. And I think chanting helped open up those um, and helped, I guess, not to be uh, overly metaphorical, but illuminate uh, those those blind spots that um, that uh, that before I I didn't really you, you don't really realize that you're not um, you're not being open. You think you're right. You think that this is this is the way it should be done. Um, so I think um, being more open um, in a much deeper sense uh, and doing things that are uncomfortable and going places that you normally wouldn't. And again, uh, because the idea might not work and that's okay. Mm. Um, where before there was this fear that if the idea doesn't work or if, um, you know, that, that it's, why did you do that? You know, and kind of more of that self-pity, beating yourself up. Um, and I think that that translates in the studio as well, where people are not as, uh, you know, as intimidated by something working or not, or your reaction to something working or not. Um, and it kind of just deflates that tension. Mm. That's really interesting. And I, yeah, again, I think many people can relate to that in, in many different contexts. Um, it, it reminds me of this quote that I really love from Ikeda that like, um, uh, well, I'm paraphrasing, but basically like creativity means opening the heavy door to your own life. And right. it sounds like that kind of started happening naturally from everything that you're describing. And then when you, when you do open the door to your own life and see all these different kind of possibilities, whether it's in sound or in, in how human relationships work, um, there really is no room for judgment. So it's all kind of making sense now what you're saying, because you do have to sort right. of suspend okay. that judgment. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and I think... Uh, you know, from what you're saying, it's um, it's all related. Um, you can't really work on one aspect without it affecting the other. And it really, yeah, you realize just how related those things are. And, you know, like you were saying about keeping certain things out of uh, the studio or trying to, you know, how that worked. Um, and I, I didn't realize that I was, you know, making it worse by trying to resist against it. And Finally, when I was able to look at it and confront it um, head on, it was, um, yeah, it's liberating. It takes away that uh, all those, those, um, those fears and tensions that exist um, throughout your day. Mm, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm also curious if you found, like I'm imagining, you know, since you said that over the years you've, pursued all kinds of different, you know, whether it was like self-help or um, just like different philosophies, I'm imagining, you know, as it relates to your work and, and life and how to live life and as a creative person. But have you have you found that um, like Buddhism resonates with or it feels different from any other perspectives on creativity um, or philosophies that you've 
sought out or developed over the last years. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, it's funny, I was very lucky that around the time that I was going through these things, uh, when I was 19, I met um, a bass teacher, um, and his name was Buddy Booker. He, uh, he, he still teaches actually on the Lower East Side in New York. And it was so relieving to meet somebody. And that was kind of, it's so hard to describe how I was going through so much turmoil personally inside my head that um, it was that same kind of relief that I felt uh, as with chanting. Um, and he had an amazing um, quote immediately when we started playing. It was, uh, sing what you play and always listen. Um, and that was kind of the, the foundation of, of how I started, uh, you know, really taking the bass seriously. And that, um, for me, um, sort of, it's very kind of, uh, it's very aligned with chanting to me because it was, um, you know, everything that I played, he, he made me sing. And so you really embody the music you know, literally embody it by singing it, by um, by singing the notes that you're playing. And over time, that what that helped me a lot with was to become um, more of a musician than just a bass player. Um, mm. And he always stressed that you're a musician and you're playing music. Um, and the um, the a lot of the melodies, um, you know, popular melodies. He made me learn on on the bass, um, and so it was kind of this different approach to to the instrument that I had had one or two other instructors that were they were much more traditional and conventional, and um, this teacher was a lot more um, you know made me think outside the box, and um, and you know a lot of the times we spoke more than we were we were playing, um, you know he helped me kind of navigate the industry the um, interactions that arise within a band. Um, um, and so, yeah, so that Buddhism really resonated in that respect uh, with that type of uh, teaching. Um, and our, you know, conversations were just much more, uh, were about much more than just, here, play this and you'll get better. It was, uh, he grew up in New York too, he grew up in Harlem, and so he also had a, an approach um, to to music, and that was you know very different than what I was you know used to listening to. You know, he he, he talked about the racial aspect of being a black musician in New York, uh, in America, um, and kind of having that uh, that outlook, which uh, to me is very similar to Nichiren Buddhism, where you know it's it, there's a much more humanistic approach. Uh, to anything that you're doing. And of course, at the time, I was also very, you know, I had that ambition and I wanted to make it and quote unquote, you know, you know, get signed and all those things. Um, but I was really grateful that I had somebody also um, telling me these these things that, uh, that I otherwise wouldn't have been exposed to um, mm. at the time. Well, he sounds amazing. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like from what you're saying, so much of Buddhism is about interacting with like all the dimensions of another person and not just one part of them. But it's really hard to do that if you don't see yourself 
in all your own dimensions and accept all of the different parts of yourself. So he sounds like someone sure. who, who, who did that yeah. and showed how to do that. And I think um, you can also hear that in music when you're, you know, listening to music, uh, whether it's the lyrical content, the tones, um, how something's recorded, that can that really translates um, that aspect of of us as humans um, can you know really translates and that it was helpful to have someone tune me into that early on. Mm, yeah. That's amazing. Um, so I guess, so my, so last two questions. So um, one is just really about this year. So in many ways, this is a milestone year um, for you, for the band. It's 20 years since Is This It? And also the Grammy win. And I'm just wondering if you see like, um, <laughs> is there a connection between your Buddhist practice and that like the success of this year or how you guys are thinking about the future or you know where you are now um i think personally on a mystic level i would say yes there's a connection for me in terms of um you know those those weird things that are called actual proof um mm -hmm. you know here and there in, in life you know what was interesting about our the session for this album was that um you know we recorded with uh rick rubin who's an amazing producer and you know um has done so many so many great albums and great recordings i was curious as to why what was what's his secret you know and um we heard so many different um different uh, experiences with him, um, you know, some great, some good, and some not so great. Um, so, you know, when we entered the studio, it was, um, what was very interesting, it was that it was similar to this, uh, to, to, the, to the Buddhist idea of many in body, one in mind. And he really, uh, he really emanated that, that idea. And in the studio, he had us come in every day for an hour and just practice and play together, whatever it was, jam, you know, just do anything for an hour, but it had to be all five of us. Um, and it kind of created this situation that we hadn't really experienced since our first album, uh, you know, where we were just the five of us rehearsing hours on end together, um, sometimes something, sometimes just having fun. And that to me was the most fundamental change in the way that we were, uh, we were working. Um, and it aligned very almost perfectly with, with Buddhism. Um, and I think it really brought out something in us that was, um, that was, uh, again, laying dormant for years. Um, you know, we uh, we kind of just went along with it. And in the past, we were so we've been so protective of our sound and of our of everything, every aspect of everything that we do. Um, we're pretty protective and involved in. Um, so to take that leap felt very much like the a leap of faith in Buddhism as well. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, and yeah, so for I guess how I how my practice would I think affected it is that I I kind of really embraced that concept of many in body one in mind and whether that meant um, you know when you're in the studio it's kind of just knowing 
when to, you know, when to speak out, when to, you know, lay back or when to, it's kind of being much more aware of those, um, those uh, situations and those moments when are you creating the most value that you can right now? And sometimes creating value is stepping back. Sometimes it's stepping up. You know, there's so many subtleties that um, I think in the past you just want to get all your ideas out and, you know, you know, and just throw everything at it. And uh, <laughs> um, so I think, uh, yeah, that idea of many in body, one in mind is very helpful and, and I think affected, uh, affected definitely the way that I, uh, the way that I approached uh, music. It reminded me a lot of um, Phil Jackson. Uh, I'm a, a pretty big basketball fan and uh, I know Phil Jackson used that, uh, that kind of uh, philosophy for, you know, both of his, the Bulls and the Lakers, both championship, multiple championship teams. And it, I, it always really resonated with me. The idea of, I think it was, it's very difficult in the NBA. There's some analogy to uh, the music industry as well, where a lot of players, they want to be the stars. They want to be the highest scorers. They want that, you know, all those accolades and those records. And um, which is understandable. That's kind of why you start playing. You want to... You want to be noticed and recognized for your for your craft. But what's really interesting about um, you know Phil Jackson's approach and the many in body, one in mind is that it's really when those players be- become more collective that you actually you know win a championship. And I feel like the Last Dance, you know, on Netflix, uh, the uh, the uh, Netflix series about the the Bulls, the championship Bulls. I mean, that was really to me amazing to see. You know Michael Jordan embracing that philosophy, and you know there's so many times where he could have taken the winning shot, but you know he saw somebody who had a better opportunity, and like Paxton, and you know Paxton ended up winning that the series, winning it was his shot that won the championship, and you know I think that 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 approach is really how you, to me, is the ideal uh, working setting. Um, um, and um, and yeah, so that that is sort of in a longabout way how I I viewed and approached the the recording process. Wow, that's fascinating, and it's it's really cool to hear that because I've had so many conversations with people about um, how they describe their own bootability or this ability you pull out of your life, which is courage and wisdom and compassion, but. It's um, to, to think about it in how it plays out in a group setting and how like what bringing that version of yourself can really do. It, it really sounds like it's not a mental strategy or anything like your your life and energy are in a place where you're really open to other people and you're also at ease, it sounds like, so that you can f- flow with everything. Um, For sure. Yeah. yeah. And I think it helps you become a lot less intimidated by, you know, other people, other things, you're kind of just, you know, I, I, I like the idea that I'm trying to create value at any and every point in my life. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, and I think that, that that kind of is reflected by other people and, and it resonates and, and it kind of it creates more value because it it's becomes kind of exponential. Um, and, um, and that, yeah, I think that's, in terms of uh, how chanting has um, and how practicing Buddhism has really affected uh, my life and music and working with people and living with people, it's um, 
you know, it's, it's kind of brought it to that level. And, you know, of course, it, it's not to say that that's easy and it takes a lot of practice and a lot of work and, you know, there are pitfalls and, you know, there's no, it's not a magic potion, but, you know, just being in a band with friends for such a long time, it becomes like family, it becomes like your brother and, or your sister and where you kind of forget, um, sometimes to the common courtesies <laughs> and um you know in the way that it's helped me with my actual brother it's also helped me with my other metaphorical brothers of the band but it really is a, a tool that you know i feel helped me um it helped me in a lot of aspects of my life um, mm. that's yeah that's awesome i think i just have one um one final question um which is if anybody is listening, I think, to be totally honest, some people are going to be listening because it's you. <laughs> and some people are going to be listening because they're really excited about Buddhism. But, you know, for anybody who might be listening, who's kind of like a young, aspiring um, musician or creative right now who wants to make it and, you know, has all of these idols and is maybe very new to this idea of chanting, what kind of advice would you give them in terms of how to how to look at, you know, what effort to put in or um yeah just any advice you'd give um i mean advice i'm not you know i feel like i'm always still learning as well uh but whatever i could add um would be what helped me i guess um is uh and i don't mean in you know to be didactic in any way and it's just what helped me personally um i would say Underneath all the big dreams and all the big ideas that you have as when you're starting out, there's a lot of excitement underneath all that. And I think that's really necessary as well. But in relation to chanting and how it helps on a day-to-day -day level, there's another quote that Phil Jackson uh, uses, <laughs> which is very simply, you know, chop wood, carry water. And that's just the way I interpret it is the... It's just the day-to-day -day, um, uh, approach to your craft. And to go back to what you were saying about um, uh, Turning Pro, I think the book mm -hmm. you mentioned, it's just showing up um, and it's showing up every day and everyone needs a constant reminder of that. It's, uh, it's kind of very easy to fall into all the, the distractions of daily life, of, of um, you know just everything that happens for everyone and especially during a pandemic all the crazy all the craziness um it's uh it's those are a lot of obstacles and hurdles that can present themselves a lot of people may feel that sitting at their their music desk or whatever wherever you make music or wherever you you draw or you create um you know might not be the first thing that you know you want to do or is the most important given all the other things that we're bombarded with on a daily basis um but i i think um you know chanting is you kind of start the day off in a in a really energized way and it's the first thing that i want to do is 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 create and create value and basically do things that create value in your life and for me that happens to be you know, music and, and art and, and family. And um, so, yeah, so chop wood, carry water. 
After we spoke, Nikolai reached back out saying he wanted to share about one more component of his journey with Buddhism, which was how much his relationship with his brother changed. Here's a clip from that second phone call. Um, well, when I started practicing, I think uh, my, my relationship with my brother started uh, to improve a lot. Um, and he definitely noticed a change in my, uh, just a change in me uh, after I started practicing. Um, and right around that time, we began a project uh, together. It's called Arts Electra. It's site-specific art, music, dance, and film happenings that we just started randomly one day. Uh, we were I was playing music. He was making art. Um, we just started uh, doing this project together. Um, and I think uh, basically the for me how it. Uh, how it's related to Buddhism is I, it, I started practicing right around the time that this project started. And um, it's, um, it's also a project that has uh, consists of 12 chapters that we're working on. And the first chapter was uh, called The Awakening. Um, the, the, the whole project's name is uh, It's Now or Never. Um, so it's all these kind of themes that uh, I think uh, Buddhism was helping me um, explore and that kind of uh, reflected through uh, the art uh, and music that we were making together. Um, my brother started coming to meetings as well. And um, so, yeah, it's, you know, like my mother also had a lot of records. She also had a lot of French books uh, in the house and a lot of them dealt with existential um, themes and ideas. And, um, you know, my brother decided to really take all those, uh, all those themes and ideas and, um, and explore them. Um, and it just so happened that Buddhism was entering my life at that time. Mm -hmm. And so we were exploring them through that lens as well. That's um, really, really cool. Uh, can I just ask a follow up? Um, because you, I remember you mentioned that he was also sort of your introduction to music, right? When you were young? Yes. He's older. Uh, so. yeah. <laughs> Have you ever worked together before? Um, never worked together. Uh, you know, we were, I don't know how to say it, but um, our, our upbringing was a bit interesting. Um, and so we were always very, um, we always influenced each other um, a lot uh, in whatever we were doing. And for me, he was an older brother, so he definitely had uh, more of that influence you know, on, on me as uh, looking up to him. Uh, he was always finding out about new music, new bands. It was always, I always went to concerts with him. He always knew what, what new band was in town and where they were playing and the cool venue. Uh, he also was painting and drawing a lot at the time. And I remember his, his wall was covered in sketches and, and drawings and illustrations. And my wall was covered in posters of music and <laughs> and bands and you know anything that was uh in the past it was magazines where you'd clip out uh post you know pictures and posters and so those were all on my wall and um and yeah so we never like formally worked together until until recently hmm. which we decided to kind of uh as it was progressing it became a little more uh, a little more official um, and I think 
another aspect of the project is that we uh, we partner with uh, foundations uh, locally wherever we perform. So um, in New York, he was friends with somebody that uh, that had started the Love Michael Foundation, which was a foundation for uh, to uh, to help um, you know children with autism uh, enter the workforce um, and. We partnered with a foundation in Miami. Um, now we're partnering with this foundation called Art of Elysium, which uh, um, is uh, a foundation that um, helps children deal with um, childhood trauma through art and music and, mm. and healing. Um, so yeah, so that kind of aspect as well, um, you know, was important to us and uh, very much part of, uh, for me, um, Buddhism and you know everything that uh that you chant about that's fascinating thank you for for sharing um one just last question here I just imagine that like if as adults it's your first time really working together there may have been like you spoke so much about sort of baggage you had to overcome in other aspects of your life like was it difficult or did it just because you were chanting suddenly feel easy or did you have to sort of confront anything in order to be able to do this kind of project um, I think it's ongoing. It's, uh, you know, I think definitely working uh, with anyone can, um, you know, bring these, bring out a lot of things uh, positive and more hidden underneath. And so, yeah, I think, uh, you know, with my brother, it's, um, you know, obviously we grew up together. So, you, you, you know, you have that relationship where you're, we're boys, we were very kind of uh, athletic and competitive and rough and, you know, you fight and all that stuff. And that definitely, <laughs> you know, we used to play basketball. We still kind of do um, uh, until the pandemic happened. Uh, but yeah, we got very, you know, it gets very physical. And, you know, of, of course, at the end of the day, it stays on the court or wherever it is. But um, those things are definitely aspects that we have to deal with obviously as working together as well mm -hmm. um, and i do think that with the now that we're practicing and that i'm practicing a lot it's a lot easier to see what's important and what's not um, in terms of working together in terms of the project in terms of our relationship and obviously i think the main um, the most important thing is our relationship and whatever happens in or, or, and around that is um, make sure that I that I you know temper that with just kind of making sure that at the end of the day we're still our relationship is not uh, affected by really silly things that, uh, mm. <laughs> that 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 can come about from working intensely with somebody for many hours at a time <laughs> for yeah. many days in a row um, interestingly right before our um, before, uh, right after our conversation, our last conversation, um, something came up where we had uh, an opportunity to work on something uh, for this uh, project. Um, and in those cases, it's very intense. And, you know, in a short amount of time, we have to get a lot done. So there's definitely uh, chanting in Buddhism definitely helps uh, to, to keep that on an even keel. Yeah, yeah, totally. 
Wow, um, I see. It, it it all makes sense. Is there a place that we can see the work? Is it online anywhere or? Yeah, we have a website. It's called uh, the project is called Arts Electra, and the website is arts artselectra.com. Um, and we're on social media as well. All this stuff will probably be released in September at some point um, through the Art of Elysium. They have a great website where they. Uh, they have a platform for artists and musicians um, to upload their work. And we have a page on, on that uh, site as well. I think it's, uh, it's Art of Elysium and EB Studios. I think, uh, yeah, from what I understand, uh, yeah, it's, they have a lot of artists and, and cool artists and musicians that, uh, that upload their work regularly. I don't think I could summarize just a few takeaways from today's conversation because it covered so much depth and breadth. But what stood out most for me from our conversation was how applied Nikolai's practice is. All of what Buddhism teaches, especially about believing in our own Buddhability and respecting other people, only comes to life when practiced in the small moments of our daily lives. And life can become such a profound adventure if we're able to reflect try new things, and let go of our preconceived notions. We'll definitely be covering this topic much more in the future, but for now, that's all for today, and we'll see you next week.